this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i'm your host g sampath the election commission on december 28th wrote to political parties asking them to attend a demo of a remote electronic voting machine or rvm as it's called and this demo was held on january 16th the election commission's justification for mooting rvms is to enable domestic migrant workers who may be working in a state that is different from where they are on the voter list to cast their ballot it has claimed that this measure could remedy the relatively low voter turnout in recent elections but most of the opposition parties have expressed skepticism about this proposal and they have pointed out that the ec's idea is not backed by any research or relevant data on migrant workers and their voting behavior so does india really need remote evms how will these machines work and is this the right step when there are still doubts being raised about the integrity of the evms themselves we discuss all these questions and more in this episode of in focus and joining us today is jagdeep s choker who heads the association of democratic reforms a delhi based think tank mr choker thank you so much for joining us today thank you for inviting me uh mr choker to start with before we actually come to the nitty gritty of how an rvm works etc can you share your thoughts on the why of an rvm the election commission says it wants to increase voting percentages which has been uh, when i last check it was in the mid 60 66 67% in the last two uh, lok sabha polls so is that really a low percentage compared to what we have in the developed countries and secondly do we have any data to suggest that these percentages assuming they are indeed low are because migrant workers are unable to vote uh, on both these counts i think there is uh, some doubt about the veracity of the election commission statements number 1 the first time this issue of uh, something like remote voting came into focus was when a demand was raised by the nris non resident indians that they should be given an opportunity to vote in the elections without having to come to india uh, when that demand was made by the nri in their pravasi bhartiya devas and so on that is when the election commission first raised this issue of uh, allowing remote voting now when that issue became public several people and i was i happened to be one of them we wrote and said that before we give voting rights to people who have decided to uh, leave the country and make their life and living elsewhere outside the country what about people who are within the country who have to leave their place of residence and go out and seek livelihood elsewhere and these were termed as mris migrant resident indians now that debate went on for some time and then things fell silent and now all of a sudden we see this as a panacea for providing voting rights to uh, migrants who are within the country so that the number one to the background of this number two the voting percentages as far as i know around 60% 60 between 60 to 70 are not low by any standards 
in the developed uh, or more mature democracies, uh, except for some uh, maybe Scandinavian countries, the voting percentages are often quite low. They are not very high. So number one, mid-60s uh, is not low. And number two, that is true that there are something like 30 crore uh, migrant workers in the country and a lot of them are not able to vote for a variety of reasons which we can go into if necessary. The voting percentage is not necessarily low because of migrant workers not voting. But at the same time, let me also say that giving migrant workers this facility to vote from wherever they are is a very, very welcome thought. And I appreciate the election commission uh, trying to make this effort. But what they seem to have done is, is open to a lot of questions. Have I answered your question at all? Yes, Mr. Joker, I think that clarifies a lot of things. I mean, you make a very important point, which are related. One is that the, the percentage, uh, whatever we have, it's not uh, really low if you actually look at it across mature democracies. And secondly, while it is true that migrant workers should be given a chance to vote and uh, it, is, it is a welcome thought, Actually, it is not uh, established that it is because of migrant workers being able to vote or not able to vote, you know, has anything to do with the kind of voting percentages we have today. I think that's a nuanced point to make. Uh, and, and I think we should, we should keep in mind, uh, everybody should keep in mind as we sort of look at this debate. Now, going to the migrants themselves, I mean, how are they voting at present? Are they using the postal ballot and are they not able to vote? Are they going back and traveling taking leave from their uh, places of work and going and voting. What is the current scenario? And do we have any the data on this? The current scenario is that a migrant worker or anybody who wants to, uh, who is now cannot be present where he or she is registered as a voter. And if he or she is going to be absent from, this, uh, from that place for any length of time, is expected to register his or her vote at the place of work wherever he or she may be working and for that there is a process of filling form 6 and so on and so forth which actually is quite a cumbersome process in, in actuality and a migrant worker who is very often a daily wage employee is not in a position to uh, register herself or himself at the place of work. Uh, number one, they cannot afford to take time off from their work because they are dependent on their daily wage for their livelihood. Number two, it often does not happen in one day. One has to go maybe two or three times. Number three, these uh, migrant workers are not, uh, you know, computer literate or IT savvy. To expect them to do it online is, is unrealistic. And they cannot go back to their place of work to vote because that would take about three, four days of going and coming. They cannot travel by air as some people seem to fancy think. They take trains and that takes about a day or two to get home, then vote and then come back. They lose four or five days of their wages, which is unfair. Now, election commission keeps saying that they can register. The other major issue is that they do not stay in one place for, you know, one year, six years and so on. They work at a place wherever they find work. And when that building or that project is over, they move on to a new location. 
So they are, you know, definitionally they are migrants. They don't stay in one place. So to expect them to register in one place is, is uh, not at all fair. As far as the postal ballots are concerned, postal ballots are available for armed forces personnel who are posted in areas where they cannot vote. It is available to people who are on election duty and they have to therefore go to a place which is away from their place of normal residence. And in the last election, I think it was made available to senior citizens above the age of 80 and uh, perhaps to some categories of differently abled individuals. So normal migrant workers who are seasonal or cyclic migrants who migrate from rural areas who are, which are very undeveloped where there are no means of livelihood who migrate to big cities from, uh, let us say, from uh, some tribal area in Rajasthan or Orissa to Mumbai or to Kolkata, etc. Those people are not entitled to the postal vote at all. So that is the current scenario with regard to uh, migrants voting and postal ballots. Right. So migrant voters, you cannot expect them, one cannot expect them to register because they may not be at the place they register. Uh, we cannot expect them to do internet uh, voting because they are not uh, net savvy or computer savvy and they are not eligible for, uh, I, mean, I don't know, why Why can't they use, why can't they be given the opportunity to use the postal ballot? Like what's the problem there? I have no idea what is the problem. Postal, postal ballot is considered uh, a kind of a privilege, I think. I mean, that's, that's my hunch. I don't know for a fact. But do you think postal ballot will work with regard to the migrant uh, workers' voting issues? Not, not, very, not very effectively because the, a lot of such these people are unfortunately not very literate. And, and postal ballot does require, you know, functional literacy and uh, familiarity would be, and you know, you have to... Uh, indicate your preference, put it in and cover and then address it to somebody else and so on. So it's not a simple process. So I think it will not be very effective, but it could certainly be tried. Okay, so that leaves us with the RVM, uh, the remote electronic voting machine as an option here. So are there examples, any other examples of other countries using this method of uh, getting their equivalent of domestic migrants to vote and what has been their experience? I am not aware of this, but I would also add that I have not looked into this very seriously. In the, in the so-called mature democracies or developed countries, uh, you know, functional literacy is not an issue. Internet savviness is not an issue. And in a lot of countries, it is uh, fair to say that have tried internet voting but the security issues in internet voting are uh, are very difficult to deal with and therefore uh, a lot of countries have decided not to do that. So I am not aware of this kind of a remote voting process that the election commission has thought of. Right. I mean, you're saying, uh, frankly, that you're not aware of any other country using RVM. So and I think I try to find out and I'm, I've also been not to come up with any such example, which would make India... Uh, the first country to sort of try something like this. You know, I think other countries are more comfortable with postal ballots. Uh, they don't have the kind of problem we have of uh, uh, still so many uh, millions of illiterates uh, having to sort of be, to be dealt with. Now, moving actually to the, the core issue here, 
the question of what exactly is an RBM, how does it work? I mean, we have heard terms like dynamic ballot unit and constituency card reader and so on. These are all like uh, mystifying terms. Can you uh, can you sort of demystify what they mean uh, for our listeners? How exactly do they work? Uh, what happens with these things? Is the RBM very any different from an EVM? Over which also, you know, there have been questions raised. Uh, I have in front of me the annexure to the election commission's letter to political parties. And I had read it when it was issued by the election commission. But And just before this podcast, I tried to read it again in uh, order to try and understand for myself uh, what exactly is the system. I must say I am not very clear myself. And I think it is also fair to say that not only am I not clear, the election commission perhaps is also not clear. Because the election commission has also asked a lot of questions for political parties to respond to and give suggestions. And in their letter also they have said that, you know, there are issues which need to be dealt with and so on. So to me, when I read this annexure, in the heading proposed RBM voting method, the first item is remote voter has to pre-register for remote voting facility by applying offline slash online within a pre-notified time before elections with his home constituency returning officer. Now to me this itself is a very serious problem because if a remote voter, which is a migrant, let us say, working in Mumbai, who happens to be from a tribal area in Orissa, he has to pre-register for remote voting by applying online or offline to the home constituency RO. Now, how will this happen? Expectation is that this migrant worker from Orissa in Mumbai will send an email or, or get onto the internet and apply or if he or she is to apply offline, will he have to go to Orissa to do that? Or will there be a provision within Mumbai to do that? But to me, it is absolutely not clear. And this itself, in my slightly less informed judgment, puts the remote voter in the same condition that he or she has to apply to register himself or herself as the place of residence. Physical presence at the home constituency returning officer is, is not a very pleasant term to read. Then uh, voter details will be verified and so on. But when we come to the RVM, there are very existing statements here. It is a standalone non-network system having same security features as the existing Indian EVMs and provides the same voting experience to the voter as EVM. RVM system is essentially a modified version of the existing EVM system. If it is the same system as EVM, then how is it modified? If it is modified, then it is not the same. Then the expressions like dynamic ballot display and usual printed paper ballot and, uh, you know, constituency card reader. I'm afraid I, I am not able to explain this fully, but the same process of 
whether it will happen at the home constituency or at the remote voting location applies to loading of the symbols constituency card reader which will be displayed on a public display unit also on the remote balloting unit i mean this is all mystifying and i must say that i am not in a position to explain this fully and to repeat i don't think election commission will also have full descriptions right now okay yeah i think that's a fair enough summary of the existing situation i think the lack of clarity in the election commission's own literature on the rvm is i mean i think it's reasonable to assume a reflection of a lack of clarity in its own thinking on the subject because otherwise if it was clear that clarity would be reflected in the document uh, let let me know let me add here that when it says that there are the same security features as the existing evms there are a host of questions about the existing evms which have not yet been answered and therefore to to assume that it has the same features as the evm therefore it is 100% reliable uh, that is not correct the existing evms are uh, evms the vvpat and the county unit etc the interfaces between uh, the vvpat and the county unit is mysterious and is not clear that there are supreme, there are cases uh, pending in the supreme court on that issue so to assume that that system is full proof and therefore this will be full proof is a leap of faith okay uh, not i will not uh, all of our listeners might be familiar with what issues there are with the existing evm you just refer to one uh, one of it which is that the relationship between uh, the vvpat and the counting unit is that what you're saying yes yes you know when i press a button on the balloting unit of the evm uh, information from the evm goes to the vvpat machine the voter verifiable paper audit trail machine which prints out a slip which i can see for uh, seven or nine seconds under a glass panel and then it falls into a box where i cannot see it now assuming that what i have intended to do on the ballot machine the same goes to the vvpat and i see it on the slip subsequently this information goes from the vvpat to the counting unit now what information goes into the counting unit and what is counted is not known to the voter and is not transparent or known therefore there have been doubts have been raised on this issue and the problems manifested themselves in the 2019 election when the election commission used to put up some information about the number of votes polled a number of votes cast and the number of votes counted every day on its uh, website and people used to access it and see it on their computers on their phones this data of the number of votes polled and the number of votes counted for the same booths from the same constituencies uh, varied from day to day and questions were raised as to how can this data vary from day to day and how can there be differences between the number of votes cast and the number of votes counted when these doubts were raised the election commission stopped putting this data on its website 
uh, assuming that since there will be no information, nothing can happen, but some people were smart enough to save screenshots of every day. And they produced these to the election commission to show that, look, what you have done is available on record and it needs to, needs an explanation. Then the election commission put out a press note on its website, uh, in which amongst other things, it said that, you know, it explained the fairly detailed process of counting and uh, cross-checking and confirming, etc. And one of the statements said that the confirmed cross-check authenticated results will be available about two to three weeks after the declaration of the result. Now, this seemed absolutely unacceptable. How can results be declared before the confirmed authenticated cross-check data is available? On such issues, uh, we have actually filed a petition in the Supreme Court after the 2019 election saying, we are not questioning the results of the election, but we would like the election commission to set up a robust and transparent system of counting of votes and it should be transparent to the voters also. Uh, that petition is, is still pending uh, for hearing in the Supreme Court. And that is why there have been, uh, you know, every election that we see with the EVMs and VVPACs, there is some issue comes up every time, somewhere the voting is halted for two hours or somewhere in two hours, you know, one lakh votes are cast or two lakh votes are cast. Somewhere the counting is stopped for some time. Somewhere you hear that, you know, a number of counting, a number of uh, EVMs were being transported from place A to place B in, in a kind of an unauthorized vehicle. And there have been cases where a vehicle transporting the EVMs apparently breaks down somewhere and the election commission staff who are in the car don't call the election commission they wait to see if there is some vehicle following and they flag down a car which is following and they move the EVM into that car and that car turned out to be owned by the brother of one of the candidates. So a lot of such things have get reported from time to time, making, uh, you know, creating some doubts about the whole system. And those doubts need to be removed. And the EVM VVPAC counting unit system has to be made transparent and robust. So those problems, it is logical that they will get carried over to the remote voting machine system. And therefore, it will compound the issue rather than solve any of the two issues. Right. I think uh, that's it. I mean, so you, are you saying, in other words, that Till date, there is no explanation from the election commission on why there is this disparity between the number of votes polled and the number of votes counted. Yes, there is no explanation. There is no there is no satisfactory explanation. And and with this uh, with this question mark hanging over the EVM, now this you are saying this could get carried over into the RVM scenario as well. Well, obviously, because the election commission says it is the same system as the EVM system. Right. Okay. Now, moving on to uh, what the opposition parties have flagged. One of the main objections to the RVM is that uh, if you're going to have a remote voting system, uh, you know, this which is one of these machines could probably have uh, voting uh, 
the the ballot for 72 constituencies how is a small political party with limited finances going to have a polling agent in all these places you are talking of a, a small political party i can give you an example of uh, in the constituency where i vote uh, i don't want to reveal that but i would like to tell you that uh, when i went in to vote uh, i found two polling agents and since i i double in this area i asked them which party are you from one of them said i am from party x the other said i am from party y i said what about party z they said there is no polling agent from them and the party z is not a small party it is a all india party so finding polling agents uh, is difficult for all parties depending on the situation they are placed in but let us say there is a election in tamil nadu now aidmk and dmk let us say are the two parties contesting there uh, and there is a worker from tamil nadu in punjab so how will aidmk and dmk find polling agents in punjab and in how many constituencies in maharashtra in mumbai in kolkata I mean, this is a completely, in my opinion, a completely unsolvable issue. Polling agents in every, wherever a migrant labourer is, or there is a bunch of migrant labour. I know for a fact that a lot of migrant workers from Orissa work in Surat. And uh, will BJD send polling agents to Surat and to everywhere else where those workers go? This is a very genuine issue. which cannot be brushed under the carpet right and and one other issue uh, which has also been talked about a lot is how the moral code of conduct uh, will be applied if the election is happening in one state and you know the remote voting is happening in some other state where there are the uh, migrant workers who are going to vote how will the moral code of conduct work out you know if i may if i may be allowed to be a little uh, cynical or sarcastic the moral code of conduct is not working even now Okay, that's a different issue. You know, election is happening in uh, Himachal Pradesh and in Gujarat, and uh, electoral bonds are given an additional window without contacting the election commission. Uh, the modern code of conduct is not working even now, so it will not work in this case at all. That is, I think, that is par for the course, but that is bad. and i i think again moral code of conduct will become even more irrelevant if this were to happen right uh, we are running out of time mr choker so one final question before we wrap up so the political parties have to get back uh, to the election commission on this whole proposal this rvm proposal by january 31st that is the end of this month so how do you see this panning out what if the opposition parties uh, remain opposed uh, to the rvm can the parliament still pass a law and can the election commission go ahead uh, with this proposal in the absence of complete political consensus on this you see what the parliament can do and cannot do is very difficult to say it is only for the supreme court to decide but parliament can certainly pass a law and uh, that law will have, uh, have to undergo judicial scrutiny in the supreme court whether it was constitutional to do that or not but there are a couple of issues here that i wish to highlight if given the limited time 
One is that election commission has been consulting political parties. Now, is the election the sole preserve of political parties? Do voters don't have a say in the electoral process? Political parties are obviously interested uh, or what are they called stakeholders, but a much larger stakeholder group are the voters. Now, election commission has written that they have consulted this, that and the other and then they say experts. Who these experts are, I don't know. And I know of one organization that I am associated with, which is in uh, Udaipur and Rajasthan called Ajivika Bureau, which works on migrant issues for the last 15, 20 years and which has won international awards for their work. They have not been consulted by the election commission. So it, I think the election commission has to realize that political parties are a major stakeholder, but a bigger stakeholder are people and a citizens commission on elections has sent a report to the election commission to which election commission has not even responded. This is number one. The second concern that I want to raise is that it has been found that uh, one of the two public sector units which manufactures EVMs has uh, three directors on its board which are from the ruling party in the center. Now, does that not cause a conflict of interest? So there are a lot of deeper issues. Parliament may pass a law, election commission may want to go ahead and do this, but no other political party except the ruling party and one or two of its allies agree and other parties decide to boycott this. I don't know what will happen. It would be an unprecedented situation. The third issue I want to raise is that some people claim that this RBM system will never be brought into action. It has been raised so that the existing issues about the existing EVM and VVPAT system are put behind and people forget about them. If that, if there is any truth to that, this would be very tragic and very sinister and I think it would be very unfortunate. So all these issues need to be clarified and commented on by the Election Commission before this can go any further. Right, I think those are really very, very significant points uh, you have raised, Mr. Choker. One, of course, as you rightly pointed out, it is not just the political parties who are the stakeholders in this debate about RVMs. It is the biggest stakeholder, in fact, bigger than the political parties, is the ordinary voter. And if there are some voters' associations, as you have said, who have sent representations on this issue, the Election Commission would, should, one hopes, respond to their concerns. And secondly, you pointed out that... Uh, Three directors in one of the companies which manufacture EVMs is, uh, uh, are from the ruling party. That is, again, a significant uh, co conflict of interest. And thirdly, as you said, if this entire issue has been raised to sort of uh, marginalize or put on the back burner the fundamental questions being raised about the existing EVMs, that is, again, a matter of concern. Now, one last question before we really wrap up, which is to come back to the core, uh, uh, core issue of this podcast, which is what? Then, in your view, is the solution to this problem of getting domestic migrant workers to vote? If postal ballot is not going to work, internet voting is not going to work, and if RVM has all these issues, so then what can we do about this? Well, I am not an expert to suggest any solution, 
but i believe uh, one computer science professor by the name uh, dr subhashish dadji was consulted by the hindu <laughs> in which uh, you had an explainer called india's new proposal for migrant voting where dr banerji was uh, quoted i think dr banerji and people like him they have solutions and the election commission rather than being guided by a group of undisclosed experts if the election commission were to consult people who are technically qualified to to design such systems i think it can be solved but i cannot suggest any solution straight away right thank you so much uh, mr choker this sort of uh, wraps up this episode uh, thank you so much for your comments and insight on this matter pleasure talking to you thank you for inviting me thank you very much in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon